0: The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society.
1: You're listening to Confidential Brief live on 101.9 FM in Johannesburg and streaming worldwide on highfm.com. It's Monday, the 22nd of February and it's a wet day in Johannesburg. So if you're on the roads listening to the show, just be very, very careful. It looks like it's going to be another wet week for not just Johannesburg, but most parts of South Africa. In a couple of minutes, we're joined by Veinart Engelbrecht from a very interesting organization that's doing a lot of good known as a fire ops. S-A. But first, just like to remind you, the views expressed on the show are not
0: necessarily those of High FM. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. Thank you for tuning into
1: Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. South Africa has seen the privatization of government functions at local, provincial and national level for some time now. Ambulance services are largely outsourced. Reactive policing is outsourced to an ever-growing private security industry, leading to public-private partnerships such as the E2 Project. Now we are seeing the outsourcing of fire and rescue services as well. Today we're joined live on air by Weynard Engelbrecht. He is the CEO and Chief Firefighting Officer of Fire Operations PDY Limited and its sister company, which is a non-profit company known as FireOps SA. FireOps SA is, is a privately owned firefighting operation active in the greater Johannesburg area and something that is, is quite unique in what we expect from emergency services on time, doing a lot of work and really making a difference. Veyland, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Chad.
1: Veyland, the, the outsourcing of emergency services may seem very foreign to some people. When one looks at very large industrial sites, at mining operations, at um, refueling plants, we've seen that there are private-type operations in place. People that would see it most probably is if they go to Lanseria Airport, or if they go to Grand Central Airport, or if they go to um, Tambo International Airport. But what they don't often see are private firefighters responding to fires within Johannesburg. Tell us how your operation came about and tell us a little bit more about the legislation in South Africa revolving around the privatization of firefighting.
2: Thank you for the opportunity, uh, Chad. Uh, firstly, I would just want to make a correction. We started off as a nonprofit organization. We then splinter, splintered off so that we also have a commercial uh, arm. So we, have, we are running two services in one the one is a non-profit organisation and the other one is a properly commercialised pty limited company now the fire brigade services act is firstly isn't clear on the division of responsibilities uh i think the discussion starts rather with the responsibility of the building owner to keep their building safe and that settles in the national building regulation Now, the National Building Regulation concentrates on life safety, uh, which uh, then gives preference, of course, to the evacuation of a building before firefighting even starts. And so that responsibility is that of the building owner or the landlord. And that, I think, was where the, the reasoning started when three years ago we decided to offer a private service, is to assist the building owner to... Uh, bring justice to that point. And so it, it wasn't so much the privatizing or an effort to privatize existing municipal services, but rather to create a parallel service, not un, unlike the security and private ambulance efforts that had been made, made a decade or so ago.
1: Now, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, what we've seen in terms of various property sites, we use the airports as an example, one could use um, refineries as another example. They need to have, in terms of Occupational Health and Safety Act, as well as other legislation, a capacity to fight fires. But what we're now seeing more and more of, like you said, is private organizations fulfilling the roles that we would normally expect to be provided by the state. So we're gonna chat a little bit later about some of the, the expanded services that your, your organization is offering. But tell me, Venant, um, before we go to break, your background um, briefly as into how you became a firefighter? Well,
2: I'm a former fire chief of uh, the then city of Midrand. I am a former operational commander of the city of Ruorepoort. And I'm also a former commander of a task force that operated in St fire department when it was still a municipal service, uh, where I was in charge of that task force for a period of just over seven years. So I've been fighting fires forever in a week, I think since 1973. So firefighting is, as they say, in my blood.
1: Literally in your blood. Since 1973, the year I was born, I think for the rest of this conversation, I'm not going to be calling you they I'm going to be calling you Sir. Um, considering the amount of experience um, that you bring to that you bring to the party we're going to take a break when we come back i want to talk more about the services that are currently being offered and where you see south africa going to as a whole with regards to the privatization of such an important emergency service we'll be back straight after this break
0: ifm 101.9 megahertz of life You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM.
1: Knowing your COVID status doesn't need to be costly or take forever. Today we're chatting to Valand Engelbrecht. and it's a fascinating conversation. It's talking about the privatization of emergency services in South Africa. We've seen it over the years with ambulances. We've seen a massive rise in the security industry. But what may come as a surprise to many is that we now have a private fire brigade operating in Greater Johannesburg under the command of Veinant, our guest today. Veinant, you've given us your background and it's an incredible background. I I don't think um, anybody knows more about firefighting than what you based on the experience that you have, but you set up a private firefighting organization is not an easy task. What made you come to this decision, and how did you go about it? Well, we've
2: been uh, watching, and if I say we, I mean myself and a number of, of officers from the previous task force. We've been watching the situation carefully during the first part of 2000. And uh, towards uh, 2016 and 17, it became clear that the service was just going to um, go south and that nothing was done uh, by the city council to, to uplift the service. And I guess one could say if no other municipal service is up to standard, then why would, would one expect the fire service to be, um, to be maintained well enough? And so um, it was clear, uh, as I say, a few years ago. And then in 2017, we registered the organisation and said, let's uh, let's get into this into the space. Uh, we were lucky enough to spend our first year in Iran, uh, where we did some work for the Minister of Oil. We evaluated 104 fire brigade services, 3,000 firefighters, and. We also uh, uh, audited 24 refineries for the minister. And when we came back, we were we were so lucky that we stepped into a very good relationship with Anglo-American, who we have deemed to be a champion uh, to us and to our cause.
1: I need to ask you this because there's, there's controversy and then there's reality. We we had a change in local government um, a a couple of years ago and what was the official opposition came into power, took over the city of Johannesburg, subsequently lost it. But during that time, one of the main focuses of that particular political party was to offer resources and to improve and increase the capacity and infrastructure of the city of Johannesburg, um, EMS and fire. And we heard about all these fire engines that had been purchased and all these other fire engines or appliances, whatever the correct term is, that had been repaired and would now be on the road. What happened with that program and where are all these fire engines?
2: Firstly, we need to understand that there has been no difference between a previous uh, administration and this administration. Um, in fact, uh, there was no improvement made under the previous administration either. What has happened is there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of numbers being thrown around. Uh, they've ordered 90 fire engines, then they've ordered 29 fire engines, then they just brought in 15 fire engines. The truth of the matter, as we stand today, there are between three and five engines in the city. On any given day In fact most days there's one Fire engine in the city The numbers are made up Then further of a water tanker That is available And what is known as a Bronto sky lift And the turntable ladder For instance has been used for Four funerals in the past few months It's just out of commission And then they've got an air truck Which carries uh, breathing apparatus And they have a heavy rescue vehicle that is uh, deployed at Northview Fire Station, and that is intended for really heavy-duty rescue work, such as the aftermath of an earthquake and so on under the USAR Urban Search and Rescue Program, which isn't even fully manned, neither is it fully equipped. So as far as fire engines are concerned, what we would call pumps, There's one in the city, and on a very good day, depending on who you're speaking to, between three and five can be identified somewhere. That is not even remotely enough if you consider there are 30 fire stations. And uh, then, of course, they are subject. They, uh, the city, adapted uh, or adopted at least SANS 10090, which is the code of practice for public protection, and under that code, there should at least be one fire engine in every station. I mean, just that gives you 30. Then there's no rescue capacity for road work at all. Um, They do rock up at road accidents, and uh, in the public eye, it may seem like the red truck may just be a fire engine, but it's not always the truth. And ditto for car fires where the ladders and Bronto SkyLift are sent out. And then the latest trend that we see with the brigade is they have an officer jump into a car. They make chase for the scene. Then they declare themselves on scene and in command. But the poor person stands around there. We had the situation two weeks ago when there was a major building uh, collapse and a person was killed there. And an individual stopped there and declared it uh, a Joburg Fire Department scene. And they waited for longer than an hour for their rescue vehicle to arrive. During that time, we were standing by. We offered our services over and over. We are actually equipped to do just that. But, uh, of course, our services was refused. And uh, we turned back and we attended to another accident which was actually uh, cutting out a, a victim from a car wreck, which they were also supposed to do, but they cannot possibly attend to two of these major incidents at any given time.
1: Weyland, I'm feeling sick listening to you. When one looks at Johannesburg, it's now made up of what was Soweto, what was Rudaput, what was Santon, what was Randburg, and what was what we knew as Johannesburg. So it's made up of multiple municipalities into one massive metro and what you're telling me is that the economical hub of Africa not just South Africa but Africa is not just incapacitated but has reached a point now that if we had to have a massive disaster there wouldn't be the correct reaction if it was just um to come from the city of Johannesburg they would require assistance from neighbouring metros, from neighbouring municipalities, and from neighbouring organisations such as airports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Am I right in that thought process?
2: Yeah, it's um, the, the, the sad thing is that to the west things are as as poorly as uh, they're going in Joburg. The Western uh, Metro service uh, two weeks ago also just had one engine on the road. So for that particular day, there was two fire engines from Carltonville down through to Bedford View. Now we're doing better than that as a private little service. I run three uh, tactical vehicles a day, and each of those three tactical vehicles have their their support vehicle. So it's, uh, there's there's nothing particularly good about um, about uh, the, their best effort. Uh, if you take risks, let's take a risk uh, such as. Um, as the Gautrain tunnel. Now, those who are in the know will tell you that there's a sprinkler or a deluge system in this tunnel. And if there's a fire, then, uh, you know, that will put the, 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 that'll contain the fire. What, what, what is not commonly known is that was originally a mining project. And so the Johannesburg Fire Department were compelled by the Minister of Minerals and, and Energy to have uh, proto-teams trained in Coltonville at mine, mine rescue services. You cannot enter that tunnel with conventional breathing apparatus systems. It is impossible. An operation that takes you four hours will exhaust the teams within the first 20 to 30 minutes. They are not up to standard. They've lost all of the equipment that was originally acquired for the tunnel in 2910. And so you take Langlachter as a high risk area. Langlachter uh, field depot. There is not, there's, there's not even the hint of the capacity that's required to take on a major fire in that facility. Any of the high rise buildings, we saw it a few years ago with uh, Bank of Lisbon, the high rise buildings are in quite a state in this inner city which is not necessarily the fault of the fire brigade that goes to the landowner again. But the fire department is not geared for a fire, a major catastrophe in a high-rise building in the city.
1: Let's talk about these buildings in the Johannesburg CBD, some of the decaying buildings we're seeing in Bez Valley, in Bertrams, in places like Hill, Rabaria, Yobel, Bellevue. Are we seeing inspections taking place? Are we seeing buildings being condemned to limit the risk of a fire taking place and to limit the risk of, of life being lost?
2: No, the professional work is not done that's supposed to be done. It's it's both uh, the, the shortcoming is both on the side of uh, Johannesburg Fire Safety Division and also the Department of Manpower, or Labour, I think as they call called now, the ones who declared that the building, uh, Lisbon, Bank of Lisbon building was 21% safe. But the 21% included, uh, uh, hygiene questions such as how many condoms are there in the bathrooms and so on. So that made up part of the 21%. There's a skills problem. There is a, an attitude problem. There is a problem of managerial, um, incapacity. Uh, There is a lack of political will So the inner city's buildings Whether they are high-rise or other uh, high-risk buildings Are just simply not attended to And so when new buildings are built The owners being on the landlord uh, They appoint, of course, the professional team Architects and engineers And then also uh, in that team would be a, a fire engineer Or a fire consultant And so for the first few years the shell of that building looks good, but the, the shell is not the problem. The problem comes when we move people into the building and fire load by way of furniture etc and so the inner, inner, inner city buildings are so uh, are so poorly uh, placed at the moment uh, we've got thousands of people moving into the inner city and the moment people move into an old building like that they start chiseling away the basement support structures to, to rip out steel and they sell that as, a, as as scrap scrap metal and so buildings subside into themselves into their basements so in the first few days fire systems are ripped out sprinklers sprinkler heads which is made of brass Fire hydrants are ripped out, hose reels are ripped out, and then the people moving in their droves. And then we also now see that the the the, the various mayors over the past five or six years keep on declaring how they are going to to turn the city into uh, a um, into a high occupancy uh, areas, and and which means that they are intending taking something that used to be an office block and which is now overloaded by thousands of people, and then they want to then turn that into uh, accommodation. And we, we already see it in the city. All they're doing is they are creating death traps. With that also, we see the whole city being strapped up and wrapped up with PVC advertisements. We certainly haven't learned anything from Grenfell Tower's. The ad- advertising PVC wrapping will cause fire to spread vertically, externally on that building in an absolutely in a few minutes. But we, we're wrapping up the city so it looks pretty and colorful with all the advertisements, but we are really creating a trap. And so it's on a ne- number of levels, Chad, I would say that I think I once, um, in a report to the city uh, three years ago, I identified probably close on 40 items that need urgent attention for the city to turn its brigade around, and for the city to at least start on a on a, a, a some sort of a way of making the city safer for people. The city is not safe for people in terms of fire safety.
1: Ah, uh, Vaynans, it's, 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 it's reached a point where one has to ask where to from here. And I think when we come back from break, we're going to discuss what the future holds. And of course, with winter around the corner, I think somebody that's been involved in firefighting such as yourself for just less than 50 years, You know what winter brings and you know the risk that it brings, especially with the urbanization that we've seen in the inner city. So we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back. I want to talk about possible solutions and where you see the future and what's needed for Johannesburg to have a fire brigade that is able to to be able to fight the risk that is out there. We're gonna take a break, we'll be back straight after this.
0: Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM.
1: It's Purim at the Sowen Siegel Gift Shop. They have exciting mishloach starting from sixty rand. Do a mitzvah and bring smiles to the faces of friends and family. while are making a difference in the lives of the Sawan single residents. Call them on 011-640-6413 or email Sawangifts at or pop in. They would love to see you. Shagpurim Sameach. Today we're chatting to Weynard Engelbrecht from Fire Ops SA, And so far the, the the conversation has been about the potential risk faced by residents in the city of Johannesburg due to the incapacity and lack of resources that the city of Johannesburg currently has. I'd like to know from you if this situation had to be turned around, how long would it take to turn around? how much would it cost and is it possible to turn it around?
2: I reckon anything in the world can be turned around um, the I, I, I believe the issues need to be addressed almost in this order in firstly, you cannot allow politics in a fire brigade operational um, Entity. You, you, you simply cannot. No politician should ever be seen to interfere with the operation. Operation. If, if, if management and politics can't divorce themselves from the fire ground, then there will forever be conflict on the fire ground. What, what do I mean by that is nobody uh, of a political orientation should appear on the fire ground and try to influence the commander that is in charge of that incident. Now, the commander needs to be skilled and fully trained, and so there should be a philosophy in the brigade, which if the brigade doesn't have a firefighting philosophy, it doesn't actually know what it's built on. There is no, there's no, no um, foundation for it to improve. So to take the, the, the first few components of my reasoning together, and to answer the question, can it be turned around, I think it can be turned around. But it ought to be done with a plan. It cannot be a knee-jerk reaction um, uh, based on what happened yesterday or last Saturday or January or whether Veynant is doing something. A knee-jerk, reaction, uh, uh, knee-jerk reactions will definitely not, not do it. So with a properly founded plan, it can be done. I have uh, compiled a plan for the city some four years ago already uh, uh, which I think if they follow that they they will probably need a splinter of the budget that they believe they have to spend every year on stuff that just doesn't do anything and so um, i would I would, for instance, say, if not us, then an organization similar to us. Why doesn't the city uh, contract the work out of first response to an organization such as Fire Ops? Let us help them. Let's do the first response and assist them and let them do this for a period of a year, three years, five years while they go about with a turnaround strategy. Now, so am I promoting our service? I, I, it, it may sound like it and it may be that and it may not. It doesn't really matter who it is that does it, but somebody has got to help the Johannesburg Fire Department. They've got what it takes. They just need direction. They definitely need to have a properly founded plan and they need to have the freedom to implement that plan. Now, We have had the situation in Joburg that they don't have a fire chief that's appointed. Everybody in Joburg Fire Department has been acting since 2000. The chief acts, the deputies, the assistant chiefs, the divisional chiefs, the platoon commander. There are no appointments made, hence there is no responsibility taken by any individual. Now, nobody can work like that in what is known or called a world-class city. If you compare yourselves with Chicago or New York or any one of those really world class fire brigade services you have to have a plan to which you have to start doing something toward gaining ground and and attaining a proper goal. We for instance are credited as uh, ISO 9001 for quality control. As far as we know We are the only fire brigade in the entire world that is accredited for quality control on fire operations. Now, if a little organization like us with two fire stations and 25 firefighters uh, can do that, then why can't the city do the same? So I can't even, even, there's no point in me even going down the other components and mentioning them because if you fail at political interference, at managerial failure, and the lack of a brigade philosophy, then there's nothing you can do about whatever follows onto that. So I, I'm i sure it can be turned around Chad, but it has to be done with a plan. I have on numerous occasions made an offer to the city that I am prepared to help them at no charge at all. Uh, the The Association of Former Fire Chiefs and commanders, we are 60 of us, we've made uh, presentations to the mayor and said, let us help you. And there's not even a response to that. And so we are all able to help and willing to help. But, you know, this thing is dragging on and daily. We are just losing buildings worth millions of runs. And lives are definitely under threat. Now, the insurers are sitting on the sideline and they kind of watch this happening. They lose millions in a month, but they it seems like they just don't have the political will to engage with the council. There's nobody that actually puts pressure on the council and say, well, just improve the service. And so we are gaining ground by the day. I'm opening a third fire station soon. I was written a letter by the legal division of Johannesburg Municipality in October instructing me to stop and to terminate my illegal activities, as they called it. It was a half baked amateurishly written legal letter. I, I responded with a letter of about 116 pages. They may still be reading. I don't know. <laughs> but you cannot threaten me for offering to protect your building if the council, who takes your Rates and taxes doesn't protect your building. Of course you might, might contract me to do so.
1: Vedanta, nice. I've uploaded to our um, Facebook group, Confidential Brief Radio Show, a video that shows your team in action with all the contact particulars of the organization. In closing, do you offer trading? Do you offer workshops and are you able to help companies increase their safety over and above the reactive uh, measures that you can implement?
2: We have a division that uh, that consults. Uh, we don't do external training as we are not a training company. And, of course, the level at which we operate, uh, that's not the level at which we should be training the public. And so there are many institutions where the public can get training. But we do consult. Uh, for instance, thatch roofs um, is a major problem in this, in this uh, footprint of Johannesburg and I consult thatch roof owners. I consult uh, on an industrial level and uh, also on a commercial level. We have a number of very well-qualified auditors that, that assist, and, um, yes, we, 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 we do give advice, and we also engage in in uh, contract management so that we not only make an, give an opinion, but we can also assist our clients to get right through from A to Z.
1: Bernard, having seen what's happened in the the security industry and the emergency medical services industry in South Africa the last few years, there's a definite need for services such as yourselves, and we can see the world over a move towards privatization. Your organization is doing a lot of good. In fact, I'm, I'm on many groups that share information throughout Johannesburg when there's live incidents, and I followed you, and that's why I wanted you on the show, because we've seen how you've assisted the city of Johannesburg with water, where you've been on scene and they then come along at the very end and then try to remove you from scene after you've you've attended to the incident. So on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you for the work that you're doing, and I really hope that you grow from strength to strength.
2: Thank you very much for the opportunity, Chad. I hope we can have another chat again soon.
1: Bernard, we have to have another chat. You're opening a third fire station um, things are really happening in respect to the privatization. There's going to be a lot of inquiries as to how people can get involved. More importantly, property-owning companies, because you've highlighted one of the main issues today. Property-owning companies are paying rates and taxes. They have an obligation to secure those properties for their tenants as well as for their investors. And right now, we know that they're not going to get the expected reaction. So there's definitely going to be room for further chat. And I really hope that you experience the growth that's anticipated.
2: Thank you, Chad. We're on Facebook and on Instagram.
1: That was Vayland Engelbrecht. He is the de facto chief of FIRE for the company FIRE Ops S.A., which is an incredible organization. Research them, Google them, go to Confidential Brief Radio Show. You'll see a video of them in action together with links to their different groups. Uh, my name is Chad Thomas. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. I'm going to be back next week. Um, if you want to find out anything more about today's show, if you enjoyed today's show, the podcast will be uploaded within the next 24 hours. You'll be able to share oh, it we'll share it on our, on our social media as well. Um, we're signing off. Thank you all to, to the studio team, Vusi, for connecting us remotely. We are still working remotely during COVID. And, of course, to our studio engineer, Craig Guthrie. Thank you so much. It's
0: over and out. Hi FM, 101.9 MHz of life. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.